Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We got to be careful that we're not mocking the person and doing all this crazy stuff because there's a lot of this happening out in the church and it's sad to me. It's sad to me that we've made deliverance a show. It's sad to me that we go 20, 30 minute videos of the same demon. We mock people. We make fun of people. If we're control, let me just say this last danger. Using our bodies to control other people's bodies is not spiritual. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's witchcraft. Using my body to do something, whatever way, to control the other person's body is not the Holy Spirit. It's witchcraft. Witchcraft is using spirits to control other people. That's literally the definition of witchcraft, using spiritual powers to dominate and control other people. So if we're using our bodies to control somebody else's body, remote control anointing that some of these guys out here are trying to talk about and do and defend is demonic according to the Bible. Not me. I'm not trying to call anyone out personally. I'm just telling you it's demonic. It's not in the Bible. It's witchcraft, not the Holy Spirit. So be very, very careful. It's, we don't want to make it a show. We don't want to mock the person. We need to protect their dignity. Listen. Last thing I'm going to say, and I know this is all going to get clipped and stuff like that. I have made a decision that I'm not going to do ministry with anyone that I wouldn't let pray over my daughters. I have four little girls. One of them is about to be nine years old. If I'm going to do ministry with somebody and that person, I'm not going to, I would not allow them to pray over my nine-year-old daughter. I'm not doing ministry with them. So that's my new policy. I'm not going to do ministry with people that are doing unhealthy, dangerous, hurtful practices. I have little girls and I would not allow some of the guys I do used to do ministry with or have done ministry with in the past to pray for my kids. And so I'm not going to just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Why would I put you guys in that place if I want to let them pray for my own kids? Why am I going to promote it? Why am I going to bring my audience there? So we need to be very, very careful on not making deliverance a show. Don't get mad at me. I'm just letting you know. Okay. Number five, can anyone who loves Jesus and is spirit filled do deliverance? The answer is yes. It is the call of every single believer to cast out demons. The fear of casting out demons is fear from a demon. If you're afraid to cast out devils, that's fine. Just get delivered. That's not from God. God has not given you a timid spirit. That spirit where it's like, oh, I'm kind of scared. I don't want to. I'm timid. God didn't give you that spirit. God is not the one that gave you that. That spirit came from the devil. God has given you a spirit of power. Matthew chapter 12 if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, the kingdom has come upon you. It's a beautiful thing. They came and said, should we stop these guys from casting out demons? Jesus said, no. Anyone that does a miracle in my name will not speak bad about me. So deliverance, according to the God we serve and follow, is a miracle. And miracles are a good thing. In fact, in Mark 16, the first sign of a believer is they will cast out demons. That's the first sign. Not that they'll pray the sinner's prayer is those that believe will drive out demons. Now, of course, all the religious people, well, Mark wasn't supposed to be, stop, stop with all of that. Just be honest, you don't believe. That's why your friends and family are in bondage. You just don't believe. So Jesus gave them power. Philip in Acts chapter 21 is the only named evangelist in the New Testament. And in Acts chapter eight, the Bible says he cast out devils. This is what he did. He healed the sick and cast out demons. We've also in Luke chapter nine, verse one, have been given authority over demons. And then he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and all diseases. Now, again, the cessationists 
which teaches false doctrine, will say, well, that's no longer for today. Let me ask all of you just quickly in the chat. There's 1,500 of you, which is great. I thought Wednesday night would be 500 because it's church night. I'm glad y'all are here. But let me just ask some of you that follow me that are reformed-ish, cessationist, that pride yourselves in knowing the Bible yet don't believe in a bunch of the New Testament. Let me just say this, okay? If you don't believe that casting out demons was for today, what do you think? Jesus was looking down. People were getting delivered in the book of Acts. People were getting delivered all throughout the Gospels. God was looking down. The early church started. All through Acts, we see deliverance. Do you think all of a sudden God was like, all right, this is going to be the last deliverance. God's like, this is going to be the last one right here. Right here, Philip, this is going to be the last deliverance for all time. Shut it down. It's no, not for today anymore. Stop. No more deliverance. Like, does that really sound like God to you for you cessations that don't think this happens anymore and you keep making video after video? Like, dude, get a hobby. God didn't look down and say deliverance is done. We don't need it anymore. Deliverance is still happening. Miracles are still happening. The gifts ceasing is not scriptural. Let me tell you guys. I'm on fire tonight. We get, we're 30 minutes in on question five, guys. We got to move. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Let me tell you why I won't debate cessationists. You're like, why won't you debate that cessationist? Why won't you argue with the guy that thinks the gifts have seized? Because it's so boring. There's no argument. If I argue, if I do a debate with a cessationist and I say, okay, let me give you the thousand scriptures where miracles happen, the supernatural power of God, deliverance happened. Now you give me all your verses where it ceased and it stopped. You don't have any. I'm bored. Let me, hold on. I'm bored. Let me drink some water. This is not liquid death, by the way. This is proud source spring water, which, well, proud. I don't know if that means pride. We got to look into that. Anyways, I'm bored. You have no verses. You have no argument. It doesn't happen anymore. Why? Because some old religious guy you follow says it doesn't. Some guy who's never cast out anything in his life. The only thing he's ever cast out is people from his church that are trying to get delivered. I'm just saying. No, 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 no. I don't want to do the debates. They're boring. They're lame. What debate is it going to be? You have no scripture. You have no argument. And I've watched all the cessationist debates. They're all boring. There's no scripture. I even asked Dr. Brown, should I do debates on these? He's like, no, there's no, there's no debates on this. There's no scriptures. It's the same thing over and over again. It's lame. It's boring. No, I don't want to come and debate you. Your, your position has no scripture. I don't want to debate someone that has no scripture. At least I have enough verses to come to you and say it's still happening. Yes, every believer can and should. The idea that it's no longer happening is false. The devil loves that. The devil loves that cessationist doctrine. God is not there going, this is the last deliverance. Shut it down, Michael. Shut it down, Gabriel. Stop inviting me on your podcast. Okay, number six. Oh, do I have it all the way in? Okay. We're going to go quick here. Maybe this will be two hours. Oh, well. I'm dating an unbeliever. She refuses to serve God. Should we break up? Let me give you what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? This is what Paul's trying to say. Y'all should have nothing in common. Let me give you this. A yoke is something that would join two animals together so they can work in a field. Here's what Paul's saying. Don't connect yourself to people that don't have the same values and don't work for God. The person you're dating who sent this question in, this unbeliever, they don't have the same values as you. They don't have a desire to work the field. There's no yoke there. 
So just do me, do yourself a favor. I hate to say it this way. Just break up now. Because you said they refuse to serve God. Break up now. It won't get better when you're married. Don't think that once you get married, they're going to get saved. It's just going to get worse. Here's the triangle. This is not the Illuminati triangle. This is the relationship triangle. Is this a triangle? That's a triangle, right? Something like that. Okay, whatever. Okay, that's going to get, that's going to get clipped. Okay. Anyways, here's you down here. Here's her down here. There's the triangle. The top is God. If you both are down here pursuing God, pursuing God at the top of the triangle, you're going to meet. The closer you both get to God, the closer you're going to meet. And then all three of you could just hang out with God. And that's going to get clipped and be the thumbnail. I literally just gave a thumbnail to all the heresy hunters. The triangle is not the Illuminati. It's an illustration I'm trying to give. Okay, I learned it in Bible college. The illustration is if you're down here, they're down here, and you both pursue God up the triangle. At the top, you guys will meet God and get closer together. That was such a bad idea. I can't believe I just did a triangle. Everybody's going to clip. Everybody's going to clip that. I'm going to be on every thumbnail. It's okay. Listen, all their thumbnails are old. They needed a new Isaiah's part of the Illuminati triangle. Anyways, the point is pursue God. And if you get closer to God, you'll get closer to her. Don't be unevenly yoked. Don't date unbelievers. Don't get with unbelievers. They, they don't have the same values. And you shouldn't have anything in common with them. How are you even dating? What do you guys even talk about? What are you guys even talking about? I don't understand. You're, God should be everything. God is all, all, everything. All, every part of us. Everything's about God. Our whole life's about God. Without God, we have nothing in common. So I don't even know how I'm dating you. You should have broke up with her yesterday. If she doesn't want to serve God, if he doesn't want to serve God, then, hey, it is what it is. Sorry. Got to go find someone else here. Okay, number seven is, what is grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit? Now, you do need to understand this, if I'm going to answer the question, is the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. Look at what John 15, 26 says. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, look at what Jesus says. He, who's he? The Holy Spirit, the helper, will testify of me. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus called him a he, not an it. So yes, think of the Holy Spirit, Spirit as a person who can be offended, who can be quenched, who can be grieved? Let me explain quickly the differences. First Thessalonians 5.19, type it in the chat. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. So how do we quench the spirit? It's not allowing God to do what he wants to do. We don't allow miracles. We don't allow deliverance. We don't allow prophecy. We don't allow him to work in our churches. We're quenching the spirit. So quenching is putting out that fire. That's a corporate setting Paul's using the Lord. That's quenching. Grieving the spirit relates to your personal life. Grieving means you made sorrowful, you made him sad, or you caused him to suffer grief. So you can make the Holy Spirit sad. Let me show you how. Ephesians 4, and I'm giving you 20 mini sermons tonight. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Don't use foul or abusive language. <laughs> Let me just start there. For all of you pastors that are like, it's okay to cuss. No, it's not. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. Look at this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, and every type of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind, tenderhearted, forgive each other, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So let's recap. How do I grieve the Holy Spirit? Now, of course, I can grieve him by watching ungodly things, but let's just look at this verse. Foul or abusive language, bitterness, rage and anger, slandering people, 
and malicious behavior, which means to plot evil against people. Those are five ways we for sure, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not get mad if the Holy Spirit's not close to you if you're always grieving him. Everything you watch, listen to, talk about is grieving the Holy Spirit. So quenching him speaks of corporate setting. Grieving him speaks to your personal life. Stop with that dirty mouth. Let the Lord cleanse you. Let the Lord wash you. Okay. Any advice on casting demons out of children? Is it biblical? Yes, it is biblical. Matthew 15, 22, there was a Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus asking for deliverance on behalf of her daughter. Mark chapter 9, verse 17, there was a man who had a son that was demonized, throwing him in the water and throwing him in the fire. Children's deliverance is biblical, but you need to first determine, does my kid even have a demon? And this will help, what will help you is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of discernment, God will help you discern if your child has a demonic spirit. If your child doesn't have a demon, please stop bringing them for deliverance. You're just really hurting them at that point. See if they have a demon. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Use discernment. Don't keep bringing up your kid, trying to do deliverance on them when they don't have a demon. Again, I'm telling you, you're just going to hurt them by doing that. So if they have a demon, you could also look for symptoms. Are they showing evidence? Are they growling? Are they foaming at the mouth? Are they cursing? Are they blaspheming God? If you have a three or four-year-old blaspheming God, that's a demon, friend. Naturally, they wouldn't do that. So you need to be careful. Make sure there's something there. And then also, the Bible teaches in the two instances of children's deliverance is Jesus shows us the parent needs to take initiative. The Syrophoenician woman I just mentioned came to Jesus on behalf of her daughter and the man came to the disciples on behalf of his son. Take initiative. If your kid is demonized, they're not... Let me just give you a spoiler alert. Your kid's not going to go and look at my deliverance map. You're going to have to take initiative and do it for them. But we need to use wisdom. I had a young boy was nine or 10 years old, sweetest young boy. And his mom said, hey, he's having all these symptoms. And this was just last year. Actually, yeah, it was actually less than a year ago. Having all these symptoms. She said, it's my first time at a deliverance service. I don't really know much what's going on, but my son has been doing all of these sexual things, saying all of these weird things. I don't know where he's learning it. I believe maybe he has a demon. He's again, the sweetest nine or 10 year old little boy. I looked at him. I said, hey buddy, can I pray for you? Yes. Hey, your mom said you're going through these things. Is it true? Yes. Okay. Do you want me to pray that those things would leave you? Yes. So I started praying for this little boy he seemed like the nice little boy he started screaming a demon started talking out of him what do you want from us get off of us he doesn't want to be free we we he's ours he's ours so he ended up on the ground and i told his mom because he started getting violent i said hey let's help me just gently hold him down and we were holding him down gently he was getting very violent screaming a demon was talking out of him and it, this was not long ago and an usher came and an usher came and pinned him down and was leaning, the usher was like a 200 pound guy, was putting all his weight on that little boy's wrist. And that little boy genuinely started to cry. And I recognized that wasn't the demon crying. That was the little boy crying. And I t smacked the usher. I was like, dude, get off of him, stop. And he's like, what? I said, you're hurting him. So we got the little boy. I talked to him, I said, are you okay? And he's like, oh, my wrist. And he was, he was wanting freedom, but he was rubbing his wrist because his wrists were hurting. And the little boy, we ended up praying again, he got fully free and I had to apologize to him and the mom because of the usher. And I, I talked to the usher, I said, don't ever do that again. You don't need to put your weight on a nine-year-old boy. We were gently holding him down while we were praying for him. His mom was gently holding him as I'm praying. And he was getting a bit violent, but we don't put our full weight. So be, use caution. Why are you allowing people to sit on your kids, push your kids down, mock your kids? Like, no, we need to use extreme caution 
and be delicate and be kind with children. They don't understand. So we don't need to take them through all the renouncing, repenting, but we do need to use initiative and we need to make sure that we're being, we're being okay with them. We need to be okay. We need to be, um, how do I say this? We need to use wisdom and be careful. Not okay. We need to be careful with children when doing deliverance. Let me recommend this. Frank Hammond has a book called Children's Deliverance. Go check that book out. And that was not at my home church. What I just said was not at my home church. I was traveling. So those of you that are saying, oh, that must've been so-and-so. No, it wasn't. It was not at the home church. If it was at my home church, that person would not be on our altar team. It was somewhere else, but it was not okay. And I was extremely frustrated. And to this day, it makes me mad even thinking about it. Okay. We need to be very careful with people. We need to also uh, make sure that we realize that, that God will honor, let me word this properly, the faith of the parents. God honors our faith as parents. So have faith and, and go, go after it. Go after it. Take them for deliverance. Pray deliverance over them. I just recommend you going through deliverance and then taking them through deliverance. I honestly recommend you doing it. If you have the kid there, go through deliverance yourself. Find someone on the map. Find someone in the core group. Get deliverance yourself and then take your kids through deliverance. I recommend, it's not required, but I recommend you getting deliverance first. Okay, this live is going long and I can't believe I waited so long to hit record. All right, number nine. You said you've done long deliverance sessions. What are you doing during that time? This is a good question because people are like, what's going on for four hours, five hours? When we're talking about a long deliverance session, we're talking about a one-on-one. -on -one. Let me just say, a lot of the time is spent just talking with that person. If we're going through a long deliverance, someone came heavily out to the occult, then a lot of the time is spent talking with that person, explaining to them what they've been going through, spending time renouncing. So I've spent some time an hour with people just getting them through unforgiveness, just trying to convince them that God wants them to forgive a family or friend that abused them. So it would be, hey, renouncing, talking with the person, dealing with unforgiveness, dealing with stubborn demons. Some demons are actually very stubborn. And so we're dealing with that stubborn demon. The only people that say deliverance should always be short are people that don't do deliverance. I'm just saying. I know I feel like I'm hitting shot. I'm shooting shots at people. The only ones that say it should be short every time. Every pastor that's ever told me that never does deliverance. I'm like, oh, show me your short deliverances. I've yet to see a video. So sometimes they do go long. And who are you to say this is taking too long? If a doctor can do open heart surgery for 12 hours, help me, Lord. Don't make me take another drink of my canned water. If the doctor four hours in doesn't say, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do more open heart surgery. Oh, let's just close this person up. The doctor says, no, listen, this open heart surgery is going to take 10 hours, but I'm just going to keep, I'm going to do it because that's what, that's what I'm called to do. And he finishes the job. Then he sews, he, he stitches the person up or whatever they do, staples them up. I don't know what y'all are doing out here. Open heart surgery. I'm not a surgeon. 10 hours. I was in surgery for 12 hours. I was in surgery for four hours. Why deliverance ministers are so lazy. It has to be quick. Says who? Says who? Sometimes it's intricate. Sometimes it's complicated and it takes long. Sometimes it doesn't take long. Sometimes it takes five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes. I love when it doesn't take long. I'm like 20 minutes, praise the Lord. And I've noticed when people are ready, it oftentimes it's fast. Now, if I'm going to do deliverance, like, and it goes an hour, I'm happy. A one-on-one -on -one session on Zoom or with a person I meet up with and it takes an hour, that's quick to me. Like it only took an hour to go through all of this stuff, get you fully free. I wanted them all to be five minutes. You think I want to sit there and wrestle a demon for an hour? Just, it's not the way it works. Just takes time. So we might be worshiping, praying if we feel stuck, trying to find out why the demon doesn't leave, praying for words of knowledge. And then here's what takes a long time, making sure everything is gone. We have to make sure we have to go back and check, make sure there's nothing there, 
go and re see if anything's resurfaced. Like these things aren't just going to happen instantly all the time, super quick, the way you and I want. Again, I want that to be the case, but lazy pastors preach that. That's all I got to say. Number 10. Oh, praise the Lord. Is returning curses to the sender biblical? This one makes me laugh because why are we doing this? Some of these questions, like, why are we even asking these? Just think about it. Do I do I believe if someone sends me a curse and I send it back to them, it's biblical that I'm sending curses back to people? I know people teach this. I have friends that teach this, but I'm actually going to show you what the Bible says because the Bible actually does talk about this. Let's look at, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh because it's so wrong to do this. But look at this, Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. All right, that's it. Next question. Let's go to the next one. Hold on. There we go. No, seriously though. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those that hurt you. Luke 6, 28. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Okay, let's look at Romans 12, 14. Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Because in the Old Testament, it's like people are out here cursing each other, putting curses. But the New Testament, we don't do that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So we're called to do what? Bless. Bless people. Type that in the chat. We don't repay evil with evil. I know I have friends and I cringe. They're like, I'm going to send that curse back. I'm like, uh, I don't think we want to do that. I think we need to bless. We need to bless those that curse us, bless those that persecute us. In fact, I have in the past sent finances <laughs> to ministries that expose me. I'm exposing Isaiah. He's a heretic. He believes in this deliverance thing. And I'm like, the Lord's like, send them $50 in their PayPal. Send them $100 for the ministry. Like, oh, I don't want to do it, Lord. I don't want to do it. It hurts. It feels bad. I would rather spend that $100. I'd rather throw it away. And the Lord's like, no, I want you to bless the ministries that are cursing you. I want you to bless the ministries that are, don't repay evil for evil. I want to blast them. Guys, you don't think my flesh wants to blast them and make videos about their past and about this. And, that. and they have nothing in my past because I've already... I've already shared my testimony a million times. I have no scandals at all. And I'm saying that with pride. I have zero scandals, zero sexual, zero compromise, zero backsliding, almost 13 years, fully clean, serving God. You won't find any scandals in my name. And I take pride in that. I boast in Christ. God's kept me out of it. Married 11 years, never, none of it. So they can't find none of that. So they go after my doctrine. He believes in deliverance. And it's like, you've already said that 20 videos. I'm bored now. I want, I want to make a new video. I want to rebuttal them. But God's like, no, bless them. Send them finances. Like, Oh man, I just blessed that guy who's making Heresy Hunter videos on me and helped buy him a new camera. But the Lord says, no, bless. So no, we never send curses back. We never, come on, stop, stop doing that. All right, I need help. What do you need help with? I, I actually just copied literally what they sent me. What are biblical grounds for divorce? Okay, I want to make this clear. Divorce was not God's original decision. It was not God's original purpose. God actually allowed divorce to accommodate man's sin. Matthew 19, three through nine. Some Pharisees came to Jesus asking, is it lawful a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Verse four, and he answered and said, look at this. Have you not heard, Have you not read that he created him from the beginning, made them male and female? Verse five, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. Verse six, so they no longer are two but one flesh where God is joined together and no man separate. Verse seven, they said to him, 
Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, he said, this is why Moses was giving out divorce certificates. Verse 8, because of your hard-heartedness, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. This is from the mouth of Jesus. He says, this is not my plan. It has not been this way. It's because of your hard-heartedness. And then he says in verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality which is sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery so the so this is the key divorce was the result of the hardness of man's heart oftentimes people get divorced when when do they chat when the heart gets hard i don't feel that love anymore for you i don't feel that compassion for you anymore my heart my heart is hard so what are the biblical grounds the bible gives us two and i'm going to add a third which is my mine not the not the biblical it's just my own opinion so i'm gonna give you two biblical and then a third bonus is my opinion you could pray about it you could do whatever you want that you call me a heretic whatever join join the club get in line number one is sexual sin matthew 19 9 whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality marries another woman commits adultery matthew 5 32 anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery that's matthew 5 32. the greek word used is pornea which is a general term that encompasses sexual sin as prostitution sex outside of marriage pedophilia homosexuality incest bestiality all of those fall under pornea okay everything i just named is sexual immorality those are grounds biblically for divorce Number two, I'm going to show you this. First Corinthians 7, chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. This is Paul. Now I speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. This is Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue to live with him, he must not leave her. So make it simple. If you have a wife, you are a believer, you get saved. She's not a believer and she's okay with living with you. You must live with her. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 7. If a believing woman who has a husband that is not a believer, he's willing to continue to live with her, she must not leave him. Verse 14. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children will not be holy, but now they're holy. Verse 15. If the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other for God has called you to live in peace. Okay, what is the grounds for divorce? I get saved and my husband or wife abandons me. They insist on leaving me. Paul says if they say, I'm leaving you, you're a Christian now, because of Jesus, I'm leaving you. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. Let them go. You're no longer bound to them. So Paul says, so number one, sexual sin. Number two is if they abandon you, abandonment. Now let me add number three. This is mine, not biblical. Ring, ring, ring. Do I have flashing red lights effects? No, I don't. Red lights flashing, not biblical. Isaiah Saldivar's opinion. Are we all clear? Not biblical, Isaiah Saldivar's opinion. Make sure you add that into your video you're gonna make about me, please. Number three, I believe is abuse sexual abuse physical abuse if you're if you're in my congregation and you're i'm your pastor and you come to me and say my husband is physically abusive he's physically abusing me first of all we need to get law enforcement involved because i'm a pastor not a police officer but you need to get a restraining order you need to get law enforcement second of all 
You do not need to stay with that guy. If he is physically, sexually abusing you, remember Ephesians 5.22, marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Do you think Christ is going to beat his wife? No, Christ doesn't beat the church. So it's not marriage any longer. I can't imagine God saying, stay with that person even though they're physically abusive, even though they're sexually abusing you. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that. Now, some of you in the chat are going to say, what about emotional abuse and word? You got to pray about that. You got to pray about that. I'm telling you as a pastor, I do not believe God wants you to stay with that abusive husband, that abusive wife, and uh, sexually, physically. You guys can go into emotional. You go there. I'm just giving you sexual and physical. I'm not going to go into all the intricacies and the nuances of all the different abuses. You need to pray about it. That's my personal conviction. If they're abusive, it's time to go. It's time to go. Now, what if you're, what, what about remarriage? Now, okay, we know divorce. Those are the biblical grounds. Now, what about remarriage? The Bible says in Romans 7, 2 through 3, if your spouse dies, you're free to remarry. Look at this in Romans 7, 2 through 3. You're only bound to your husband while he lives. If the husband or wife dies, you're no longer bound to the marriage. So Paul says, listen, if your spouse dies, you can get remarried biblically. Mark 10, 11 through 12. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if, if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she's committing adultery. So if someone marries someone who didn't have legal grounds for divorce, you're committing adultery with them. Now, if I'm, if I commit adultery with someone, should I now divorce them? No, no, we don't end the marriage. Divorce is not the answer to adultery repentances. So if I'm married to someone on the grounds of adultery, now you got married to the person you committed adultery with. You don't get another divorce to solve that. You repent. God can forgive you of adultery. You don't just keep divorcing people to try to solve the adultery. Because I know people that have left their spouse, committed adultery, remarried, and now they come to me because they don't like their new spouse. And they say, should I just divorce my new spouse? No, because divorce doesn't solve the sin of adultery. Repentance does. So the biblical grounds for remarriage is death. Someone dies. All right. Now, of course, if your husband cheats on you and you get divorced, he divorces you. You can get remarried because you're no longer bound to the marriage. We already went over that. Let's go to the next question. Let's go to the next question here. All right, new Christian here. What are your thoughts on secular music? And I know we're an hour in here. My thoughts are this. You shouldn't be listening to it. That's my thoughts. And let's, let's ask some questions because I'm going to get pushed back here. Y'all are going to get mad. Wait a minute. I can't listen to secular music. You're a Christian. You're called out of the world. You're, you're called to live holy as Christ is holy. You think Christ is out here listening to little Wayne? You think Jesus is out here listening to the next, what is it? What are these, Doja Cat or whatever demonic, ungodly music you listen to? Let's ask questions. Okay. Does the music glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever, whatever you do, eat or drink, and all you do, give glory to God. Does the music glorify God? No. Secular music doesn't glorify God. Okay. Does it draw you closer to God? Because we know we're either drawing closer to God or we're drawing away from God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, love not the world and don't love the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do I love the world? Am I falling in love with the things of this world? Does secular music draw me closer to God? You guys can answer that. Type in the chat what the answer is. No. Okay. How does secular music influence you? We know that secular music has power. We know that music, period, has power, takes you back, brings memories, makes you feel a certain way, gives you cravings when you listen to certain music. Okay, so Colossians 
chapter 3 verse 2 says set your mind on things above not earthly things so why am i setting my mind on earthly music what message is the music putting out i'll tell you what it puts out drugs alcohol sex violence profanity you're telling me that the top songs charting right now are not about drinking partying getting drunk what is that one country song that's on everywhere y'all don't act all christian now you guys listen to it all the time it's stuck in your head for days but it, everywhere i go it's playing and it, it gets in my head i'm like at the mall i was at the mall today and it was playing i'm trying to find a button up for the conference so i could cast demons out looking fresh and that song is playing y'all know the song it's the country it's been number one and whatever for like months it's about like uh i just heard it today something about letting liquor talk y'all know get out of here i don't know what song brother none of you want to type in the chat something about liquor talking i don't know but it plays everywhere for the last month two months everywhere i go they're playing something about at night the liquor's talking i don't know <laughs> i don't know bro you know you know what it is it's a famous country song is playing everywhere and everyone's singing about letting the liquor talk i'm like how about we let god talk how about we let the holy spirit talk no 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 secular music would my secular music cause someone else to stumble? Yes. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 13, Philippians 2, 15, we shouldn't cause other people to, to stumble. Do I feel convicted? Somebody type in the chat, Morgan walked. I don't think it's Mor Morgan Wallen. Is that it? Come on, y'all. You guys, act like you don't know. Act like you don't know. Y'all are, listen, we got an on-fire audience, I guess. I guess everyone's on fire in here. Morgan Wallen last night, that's the song. That's the song. Everywhere you go, it's playing. Every store, every Morgan Wallen. Thank you. Come on, y'all. I'm not going to unmod you if you know the song. I'm not going to, you're not going to lose your little badge. Stop. Stop acting like you're Jesus' third cousin twice removed. Y'all know the song. I'm just saying that's what's charting. The Doja Cat song that just came out that's so demonic and dark. These are the songs that Christians are defending and listening to. And no, you should feel convicted. So let's change the narrative. Instead of saying, what's wrong with the music like, well what's wrong with it brother what's wrong with a little last night the liquor talk to me what's wrong with it brother let's start saying what's right with it how does this benefit me how does this feed my spirit no 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 yeah it's playing everywhere don't feel bad that you know it i i know it it's playing everywhere all right number 13 what is the most common ways that demons get in very good question I'll give you a few family bloodline. A lot of people are born with demons from their family bloodline, abuse growing up. Traumatic events is a major open door to demonic spirits. Car accidents could be an open door. You have people say, I'm always afraid when I get in the car. Every time I'm in the car, I'm afraid I'm gonna get, why? Because in that car accident, that traumatic experience opened the door to a demon. Guys, please trust me on this. I've dealt with friends and family and people that have gotten demons from traumatic experiences. Jenny Weaver's in the chat, she'll tell you this. Trauma is a major open door. Well, brother, that's not fair. How is it fair that I got a demon from a car accident? It's not fair. Where in the Bible is the devil fair? Show me, do you think fair is a word? The devil doesn't even know how to use fair. He doesn't even know what fair is. Like, that's not fair, brother. It doesn't have to be. Fair doesn't exist in the devil's vocabulary. Trauma is a major open door to demonic spirits. I've seen the spirit of fear, death, anxiety, all come from traumatic car accidents. And traumatic, Jenny said facts, there we go. Traumatic experiences. Trauma is a major open door. Surgeries are an open door. Traumatic surgeries, people get demonic spirit to that. Events like burglaries, sexual trauma is an open door to these spirits. I'm gonna tell you guys this right now. You don't have to believe me. 
I just dealt with this again recently. I keep dealing with this over and over again. 99. I could be wrong because this is just my experience. 99% of the people that come to me for deliverance because they're living a homosexual lifestyle. 99% of the people I've dealt with that say, Isaiah, I'm dealing with homosexuality. I want to get free from this. I don't want to be a homosexual. I don't want these desires. 99% of them got abused let's say it that way you know what i'm saying because i i'm using my words careful because i already know youtube's going to strike this and mo not monetize it limit it all that whatever 99 percent say i went through trauma as a child something happened to me as a child and now they're living that lifestyle so yes it's an open door burglaries traumas car accidents all of that stuff these traumatic experiences are open door to demonic spirits i've seen over and over and over again you don't have to believe me it's okay i'm just letting you know 99 percent of people i deal with that come out of the lifestyle had that experience if it's not generational like my mom was my dad was my aunt or uncle was if it's not generational it came from a traumatic experience occult practices are big open door to demons let me rattle off a bunch horoscopes fortune telling tarot cards voodoo spirit guides sorcery seances horror movies necromancy that's communicating with the dead which by the way some of your favorite prophets do that they talk to dead people that's a whole nother sermon hypnosis which some of your favorite prophets do we won't talk about that blood oaths astrology yoga psychics palm reading ouija boards magic eight ball le levitation freemasons eastern star rainbow girls occult fraternities sororities pledges oaths vows all demonic all demonic oh brother you're religious go cry somewhere else they're all demonic these all open the door to demonic spirits. Having a possession of cursed items are an open door to demonic spirits. Sinful acts. Now, not every sinful act is going to get you a demon, but they open the door. When you sin and do sinful acts and it becomes habitual sin, strongholds develop, you open the door to unclean spirits. Sexual acts, masturbation, fornication, pornography, major open door. Now, if you're going to ask me tonight, what is the number one open door to demonic spirits in this generation? pornography number one the most demons come in through pornography the most demons come in through internet pornography you don't think they can come in through that screen it's just no it's when you watch it it's a spiritual portal you're opening up a spiritual dimension and a spiritual portal do not be surprised when a critter flies through the portal that you open and also don't be mad i don't know how i got a demon i'm like i know how you got it internet pornography that's a big one so all of those things, again, masturbation, pornography, fornication, these are all open doors. Also, things like gluttony, overeating all the time. You make that a frequent thing, you will get a spirit of gluttony. And the list goes long and the list goes on, but we're, I digress. All right, number 14, I have conversations. Uh, I have a conversation with a voice in my head. Is it a demon? Probably yes. Probably yes. Quickly here, three voices. The Holy Spirit, your human spirit, which is your own thoughts. Your thoughts... I know I'm going to get pushed back. Everything I'm saying is controversial. I tried to pick the most controversial questions. Your thoughts are not a voice. They're my thoughts. I'm creating thoughts right now. That's not a voice in my head. Those are my thoughts. Okay. People say, people say it's an inner dialogue. No one's talking to me. Those are my thoughts. I'm creating them. So the Holy Spirit, my thoughts or a demon spirit, my personal belief. And I'm saying mine, my personal belief, and I could be wrong. And guys, again, I'm not. Don't know everything about everything. I'm still learning. I'm going this week and I'm learning. I'm still learning all this stuff. My personal conviction is a demon can't speak to you unless it's in you. Um, all the time. Now, you might have an experience where on the outside, rare okay, occasion, a demon might speak to you. But this idea that the devil's always lying to you, but you don't have a demon. No, 
The reason why you're hearing a demon and the devil, the devil, not really the devil, but a demon representing the devil, is because you have a demon in you. If you're hearing a third person voice, let me also say this, the flesh, which is the fallen nature, doesn't talk. Some people say, well, that voice telling me to um, smoke this or drink this, that's just my flesh telling me. The flesh doesn't talk. The flesh, write this in the chat, doesn't talk. That is a demon. You're hearing that voice, that third person, that's a demon. It's not God telling you to do bad things. Now, God can also speak to you. God can also speak to you, and that will that's great. Praise the Lord. He'll tell you to do good things. God is not going to tell you to sin and do crazy wrong things. But if you're having that voice in your head that's most likely a demon, um, you need to get deliverance. Again, your thoughts are not a voice. Flesh doesn't talk. My thoughts are not a voice. If I'm, if I'm talking to something, something's there. Okay, Selah, enough said. It's probably a demon. Go to, go to our deliverance map. Go to the core group. Uh, go to your local church. Find somewhere to cast that demon out of you. Go to a local believer. All right, why does it seem like my prayers are not being answered? Very good question. And most people don't know this. The Bible actually says there's conditions to getting your prayers answered. All, all of these questions, again, I have videos on. You can search the channel. But there are reasons why your prayers are not being answered. Let me give you a few. Number one is you don't believe what you're praying for. That's the most common. James chapter 1, verse 6 says this. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and stable in all he does. So James says, if you're asking for something, when you're asking, and that's prayer, that's what we'd call petitioning God. You're asking for something, that's a petition type of prayer. And you're doubting your prayer, you're not going to get nothing. God is not going to answer that prayer. So there's conditions that must be met. The most common thing is you don't believe the prayer. Stop doubting the prayers. Don't pray prayers like it's a slot machine roulette wheel going, I'm just going to put $100 on black. No, no, we're praying with faith. We're believing what we're praying. You got to have faith. You can't doubt. If you have an ounce of doubt, cast it out. Okay, there's your rhyme for the day. That's so cheesy. If you have an ounce of doubt, just renounce it, repent, turn from it, bind it, rebuke it, pull it down, call, command it to go, whatever. Don't have doubt. You cannot expect to receive anything. Now, when you have doubt and you pray, you will receive. And what you receive is nothing. God's like, here you go. Here's nothing. <laughs> That's what you get. Okay, also, here's another one. You pray, but your motives are wrong. Again, this is 20 baby sermons tonight. James chapter four, verse three says, when you ask, you do not receive. James says it, you're asking, but you do not receive. James, why? Oh, he's about to tell us. Thank you, James. James four, verse three. Because, here's James, you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So you're asking, but your motives are wrong. You're not, James says, you're not receiving when you're praying because you're, you're asking for things that are just not the will of God. You're like, Lord, I really want this. God's like, that's not even my plan for your life. Your motives are off. You're, you're wanting things to spend on your pleasure. You're, eh, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Welcome. She said, my son clicked on the live. I'm glad he did. Hello, Curly. I'm glad you're here. We have 1500 videos and lives you can watch, but we are live right now. Hello. Just to confirm we're live, Curly. I see your comment. All right. Here's another one. We give up before the answer comes. We pray for like a week and then we give up. Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking for you'll receive what you ask. Keep on seeking, you'll find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open. What's the goal? Keep, keep, keep. Some things take time. The Bible says you have to bug the judge. You have to bug God. He, he answers based on shameless persistence. That's what the Bible teaches. Don't get mad. Just keep going. Keep pushing. Pray until. What happened to that? 
Why are we so lazy now? We just pray for five minutes. Pray until something happens. Keep knocking. Don't doorbell ditch God. Don't knock and then run away. We're not in sixth, fifth grade. No doorbell ditching. We're going to keep praying till the door is open. We're going to bug the judge. That's the whole parable of prayer Jesus teaches. You keep bugging. You keep bugging. All right, uh, a couple more. Unforgiveness. Look at what Mark eleven twenty five says. When you stand praying. So don't come and say, you're taking this out of context, brother. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone. So Jesus is like, listen, not just your mother-in-law that you have unforgiveness, not just your parents. If you hold anything against anyone, boss, family member, coworker, forgive him so that your father may forgive your sins. So like, don't even come to prayer and waste your time if you have unforgiveness. Deal with the unforgiveness. You're wasting your time if you have unforgiveness so that God can forgive you. Unforgiveness stops God from answering your prayers. Unconfessed sin. Oh, it's getting hot in here. It's getting warm. Isaiah 59.1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not short to save, nor is his ear dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he'll not hear you. Now, don't go, well, that's Old Covenant, Old Testament. Guys, the Old Testament is still relevant. What are we doing out here? The Old Testament is still relevant. Psalms 59.2, your iniquity separate you from God. Your sin has hidden his face from you, so he doesn't hear you. Psalms 55.18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin, iniquity, God's not hearing you. You're literally wasting your time praying. Okay, last one. Whoo, it's getting hot. If you don't treat your husband or wife properly, God will not hear your prayer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, husbands... Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner as heirs with you the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayers. What is Peter saying? If you don't treat your wife right, some of you need to go, just go right now and apologize to her. Just go. When you were arrogant, you were proud, you were mean, you were harsh to her. She was right again. You were wrong again. Just go stop right now. Pause the broadcast while it is live. You can catch up later. Honey, I was wrong. I'm sorry for saying that. I'm sorry for being rude. I'm sorry for lashing out. I'm sorry for not doing what you've been asking me to do for like six months. I'm sorry for not being affectionate. I'm sorry for not being compassionate. I'm sorry for not being patient. Some of y'all know I've been, I'm out here doing the same thing here. I need to change. I'm, I'm the problem, not you. I'm, I'm wrong. I left my dirty socks out again. I left my dirty boxers out again. I'm sorry, honey. The, the wastebasket was right there. Some of you, it's like, you don't even need a laundry basket. You need a waste basket. You know what I'm saying? I should have just thrown them away, honey. I should have just took it out. I know the trash has been sitting on the back porch. All the Amazon boxes are stacking up. There's bugs crawling in the trash. Maggots getting everywhere. I'm sorry. I should have took it out. I apologize. I lashed out at you. It's not you. It's me. Work's finished. Come on, guys. Come on. Go apologize right now. Honey, I'm sorry. I should have, I should have let you buy those shoes. You haven't had a new pair of shoes in a week or two. I'm sorry, honey, I should have got you the purse, even though you have 15 and it is expensive, but you know what? We need to sacrifice. I'm going to work some overtime. Forgive me, honey. All right. Come on, guys. Look at my wife in the chat laughing. You just got to go. You just got to go for real. If you have something against your spouse or wife, you need to deal with it because it's some of you are like, that's why my prayers aren't being answered. That's why my... look at my wife pops up. Honey, what are you doing in the chat? How's my wife? First time in the chat all night. She pops up here says too real all right next one okay so if you have something against your husband or wife you're not treating them right it's going to hinder your prayers go deal with it stop being rude stop being mean peter says here that she's the weaker partner not weaker as in like not as strong weaker as in like you're the leader 
Hello, you're the leader. Be compassionate with her. She's not as, she's not as, let me word it this way, tough as your friends at work. Okay, your wife's not a mechanic. Don't talk to her like a mechanic. Don't talk to her like your friends at work. Don't talk to her like every other guy. You need to use wisdom, use compassion, and use humility when talking to your wife because she's weaker. And again, weaker, not as like weaker like we think, but weaker as in you're the leader. She's not as strong as all your friends at work. She's not as strong as the other officers that you work with. The other guys, you don't, you don't talk to her like, she's not one of the bros, okay? Treat her right. All right, 16, way changing topics here. We're almost done. Are guardian angels biblical? Now, the angels are referenced 250 times in scripture, yet most Christians, most believers don't even believe in angels, don't even talk about angels. Here's my opinion. I'm going to give it to you this way. I don't think guardian angels are biblical in the way you think they are. And, and by that, I mean, do we all have one angel or two angels assigned to us our whole life? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't think that's the way it works. It, it might. I for sure have gotten saved by angels, literally should be dead, but angels saved me multiple times. But do we have angels that guard us? Yes. Again, I don't know if it's, you know what I'm saying? We have one angel all the time, but do we have guardian angels that protect us? Yes. Psalms 91.11 says he will command his angels to guard you in all of your ways. So angels will guard you while you're driving. Hello, while you're working. While you're out and about, the angels of God will guard you. Psalms 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and who fears him and delivers them. So if you have the fear of the Lord, the Lord, angel of the Lord encamps, sets up a camp around you. Matthew 18, 10, beware that you don't look down on the, the little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Don't know exactly what that means. No one truly does. Something about children having angels in the presence of God. God somehow protects young ones in a special way. Acts chapter 12, Peter gets rescued by an angel, gets broken out of prison. They're going to kill him the next day. An angel breaks him out of prison. God used angels to protect Daniel. And Daniel chapter 6 says God sent angel, an angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Angels will not guard you. Okay, so we do know there's angels that guard. Are they guardian angels? Again, I don't think it is the way the movies show it, but there are angels that guard you. I've been saved by angels on at least three occasions. 100% Isaiah Saldivar should not be alive right now. I should have been unalived three different times. 100% I could count and name where an angel saved me. 12 years old, accidentally hung myself, pulled me, an angel pulled me off the rope. I was literally up in the air hanging and an angel pulled me off the rope. Another time I got drugged under a broken trailer behind a tractor going 25, 30 miles an hour down the road. Who knows? An angel showed up in that trailer. And um, a third time, I had a demon trying to convince me to take my life, which I didn't even want to take my life, to jump off of a balcony, 13th floor of a hotel. And I believe an angel spoke to me and said, don't do it. Third time. I have other times where I almost drowned, fell out of a car, all of that. But over and over again, the devil's tried killing me throughout my life because I believe he knew to an extent of the calling I had. An angel saved me. I don't know if I have an angel always with me. I, I would like to think, yeah, but I do believe guardian angels are real, but I don't know if guardian angels, I just said the same word twice. I don't know if it's real in that way, but angels do guard you. Angels won't guard you when you're doing reckless things. Remember, Satan quoted Psalms 91 to try to get Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. He said, hey, 
Psalms 91, the angels will guard you. He, Satan quoted this to Jesus, trying to convince Jesus to jump off the top of the temple. And, the Lord, and Jesus is like, don't tempt God. That's what it also says. So the devil was twisting the scripture. Look at this. To try to get Jesus to do something reckless. Do not drive your motorcycle 100 miles an hour weaving in and out of traffic, quoting Psalms 91. You will die. You will die. Like quoting Psalms 91, the angels are going to protect me. That's the devil. The devil quotes Psalms 91. That's not what he meant when he says his angels will guard you. The angels will guard you maybe in a freak accident like I had as a kid growing up, falling out of the car, almost drowning, hanging myself on accident. But don't recklessly live and think the angels are going to save you. If I meant to hang myself and I said, I'm doing this because I want to take my life, an angel probably wasn't going to save me because they're like, hey, no, you wanted to do this. But because I accidentally hung myself, I think that an angel, an angel saved me. Don't be skydiving. Like over here, let me just cut my parachute. The angel, Psalms 91. No, skydive at your own risk. The Bible says, lo, I am with you. Hey, don't be, don't you, you got to use wisdom out here. Don't be swerving in and out of traffic. Don't be getting in fights, being like, well, the angels, you know, you got all these guys that are putting their life on the line in the UFC, almost dying every fight, being like, God's protecting me. Okay, that's not the way it works. Clearly, Satan tried to use Psalms 91 to twist the scripture. Angels are not going to protect you from living recklessly. If you act stupid, you're going to get the results of acting stupid. Number 17, what are the main symptoms of having a demon? I know this is a lot of deliverance, but a lot of you guys send me deliverance questions. I'll give you a few main symptoms. You manifest. So that means you're at like, now the word manifest means something that's hidden comes to the light. That's all it means. If you're in a church service and all of a sudden a demon starts trying to speak out of you, you start foaming at the mouth, you start growling, then you know you have a demon. You're manifesting. If you're listening to a preacher and you're getting voices in your head, blaspheming, cursing, that's a demon. So if you're hearing voices, that's a demon. If you have dominating thoughts, thoughts that keep coming and you can't get rid of them and they're just like, dominating you you guys know what i'm talking about intrusive thoughts just oh i can't get rid of these unclean perverted thoughts that's a demonic spirit i know this because i had those i got delivered i don't have them anymore okay it's a demonic spirit those are very common ways you might have a dark countenance you might have a compulsive desire to tear up the bible you might be um a desire to blaspheme god sleeping disorders eating disorders abnormal or perverted sexual desires i can't say what on the stream but desires sexual desires for people that are not the age they should be if you guys catch my drift or animals that's not god that's perverted that's demonic that's a demon those ungodly sexual desires rebellion or hatred towards authority you grew up like i hate people telling me what to do how many of you in the chat are like i hate it every time someone tells me what to do i do the opposite that's usually a demon they're rebellious violent thoughts Suicide, homicide, self-abuse, hatred or bitterness towards other races for no reason. Again, demonic. Every time I try reading the Bible, I go to sleep. I'm instantly tired. Probably a demonic spirit. Reacting through body language to the name of Jesus, or if I say the blood of Jesus, and your body twitches, you react to the name of Jesus. Something like, ugh, I don't like that. There's something in me that doesn't like that. That's a demon. That's a demon. Okay, constant vulgar language, a desire or irrational even laughter or crying. If you're irrationally crying all the time, that could be a demonic spirit. That's a demonic spirit. Loss of time. Like, I can't keep track of time. I'm going to say something. I already know it's getting clipped. Oh, well. We got to give them content. They have no more content. 
If you're constantly late and you can't keep track of time, you have a loss of time, a confusion about you where you're always late. You're like, oh, I just can't ever get on time. Could be a demonic spirit confusing you, causing confusion. What else could I think of? Extreme sleepiness around the things of God. Voices you hear in your mind. Sometimes it feels like the back of your mind that accuse, mock, threaten, intimidate, or try to bargain with you when it comes to the things of God. Pain without justifiable reason that comes and goes. What? You've been to every doctor and the doctor doesn't know. Unexplainable sickness. They have no clue what it is. Probably a demon. Blacking out. If you're blacking out, doing stuff you shouldn't be doing, and then waking up and like, I don't even remember that, it's probably a demon. Some of you black out and do stuff. You're like, wow, I was doing something bad. I blacked out. Don't even realize what I was doing. Demonic. Um, what else? Buzzing in the ears. An inability to speak could be a demonic spirit. Like I said, reaction to the name of Jesus. Lying, exaggerating, stealing compulsively, and you don't even know why. I don't even know why I'm lying. I'm lying. Some of you lie about dumb stuff. Like, what color is this can? Again, this is not liquid death. This is canned spring water. What color is blue? But you're like, oh, it's red. You lie for no reason. Compulsive lying. You're just, you don't even know why you steal things. I stole a pack of Tic Tacs and I have money. Why am I stealing Tic Tacs? Demonic spirit. Demonic spirit. All right, that, that's enough. That's enough. Those are all symptoms. Number 18. Is there a difference between the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist? Yes, they're different. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in many churches and people. First John chapter 4, verse 2 this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So what is the spirit of the Antichrist? They don't acknowledge Jesus is from God. They don't acknowledge Jesus has come in the flesh. And then he says this, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the church, already in the world. It might be at your local church. Hello, somebody. The spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a literal person that's coming in the end times. Now, the word Antichrist means against Christ. The spirit that is against Christ. The spirit that is against miracles. Hello, someone. The spirit that is against deliverance. The spirit that is against the things that Jesus says and the things that Jesus does is an antichrist spirit. It's already in the world. It's already in the local churches. That's the antichrist spirit. The antichrist is a literal man. The Bible calls the literal man, the little horn. These are the names of the antichrist, the literal man that's coming in the end times during the tribulation, which if you believe the Bible, we will be around during the tribulation. Well, not maybe this generation, but Christians will be there. We get raptured at the end of the tribulation. That's a whole nother debate, and I just opened up a whole can of worms. It's okay. The Bible calls the Antichrist, the little horn, the fierce king, the master of intrigue, the prince who's coming, the worthless shepherd, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the despicable person, the willful king, the abomination, and the beast. Those are all names for the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come from among the 10 kings. Daniel 7 says he'll emerge from a group of 10 kings. These are going to be leaders of 10 nations. Eventually, they'll build an alliance and become the revived Roman Empire. He's going to rise in political power. Three of the 10 kings of the revived, revived nations are going to oppose the Antichrist, but they'll fall and try to, and he'll strip them of their power and take them over by force. He's going to be like, uh, Bible says he'll be strong but he'll be fueled by Satan, not of his own power. His power, Revelation 13, will come from Satan. He'll be performing counterfeit miracles. 
He's going to call down fire from heaven, the book of Revelation says. He's going to be armed with satanic power. And he's going to be the greatest, strongest leader and conqueror the earth has ever seen before. He's going to cause destruction. And the Bible says in Daniel 8, he'll succeed at everything he does. He'll be so powerful, heavenly beings will try to fight him and he'll trample on even angels. He'll even try, look at this, Daniel 8.25 he will even try to take on Jesus in battle. That's how strong he thinks he is. He's going to be the guy that convinces every army and every ruler to gather together to fight the Lord and his anointed. Imagine the battle of Armageddon, which by the way, if you guys haven't watched my series on Revelation, my end time series, go to my channel. I have a playlist called the end times and book of Revelation. Y'all got to go watch my teachings on Revelation and the Antichrist. I have 10, 20 hours of Revelation, teaching on Revelation of the Antichrist. I go through every single verse and the entire book of Revelation took me six months. Go watch on the channel. I'd go through every verse in Revelation. But he's going to try to take on Jesus. That's how dumb he is. Of course, he will lose. Okay? He's going to be the leader of the revived Roman Empire. He's going to rule over every tongue, every tribe, every language, and every nation. That's Revelation 13.7. He'll control the ability to buy and sell. That's Revelation 13.16. All the people think he'll invincible. And the people, Revelation 13.4, will say, Who is as powerful as this man? Who can make war against the Antichrist? That's, they're convinced Jesus is going to come down and they're going to say, no way Jesus can beat this guy. But of course, the breath of his nostrils will defeat the Antichrist. Go watch my book of Revelation. He's going to be arrogant. He's going to be proud. He's going to have a most a, immense power. The Bible is going to describe him as boasting arrogantly, Daniel 7, 8. He'll claim he's greater than God, Daniel eleven thirty six. And John says, he, a beast who speaks blasphemies against God, Revelation 13, 5. When asked about the end times, Jesus told the disciples, the time will come where the sacrilegious object that causes desecration will stand in the holy places. Matthew 24, 16, speaking of the Antichrist, he will fulfill the prophecy. He will stand in the temple of God in the Jewish temple, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, and claim himself to be God. He'll even set up an image of himself in the holy temple and make people worship him. That's Daniel 9, 27. He'll be a mere man claiming to be God and the people will worship him and, and praise him and they will take his mark, which is allegiance and worship of the Antichrist. Okay. Lastly, he'll exalt himself against uh, above everything called God or worship. Second Thessalonians 2, 4. He'll reside over the most terrible time in human history. He will be the ruler over the worst time in human history. He'll succeed and cause a shocking amount of destruction. Yet despite all of this, look at this. Lastly, most of the world will follow the Antichrist. And not only will they follow him, they will worship him as God. In the tribulation, they will worship the Antichrist as God. They will exalt him above everything that is holy. And we will be his enemy. He will chase Christians, pursue Christians. The Bible says he'll behead us for our faith. He'll make you take the mark. If you don't take the mark, you'll get killed. You'll get beheaded. And you'll not be able to buy and sell. The Antichrist is the number one world leader. It'll be the first time ever... There is a one world leader that will be the Antichrist, but his spirit is already at work in the earth. Okay. Who is the angel of the Lord in scripture? These 20 questions, because I'm preaching many sermons, feel like I'm like going a way different direction, but hey, you guys ask these questions. We have two more and we're done. And guys, I'm going to spend time tonight time stamping every question in the live. So you'll be able to go through the chapters, find every question and go to it. And I'm going to do all that time tonight. I didn't do it last time, but I will do that this time. If I'm going to spend an hour and a half and hours preparing, I'm going to do it right and put chapters and all that on YouTube. Okay. The angel of the Lord, a lot of debate. Who is the angel of the Lord? We see him all throughout the Old Testament. I'm going to give you what I believe 
the angel of the Lord is. Many people believe it's Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus appearing in the Old Testament is the angel of the Lord. Over and over again, it's distinct. It's not just an angel. Let me take a drink. Thank you, Noah, of my canned water. We're real bougie out here tonight drinking canned water. No, it's not liquid death. Stop trying to cancel me. All right. So who's the angel of the Lord? Exodus 23 says, The angel of the Lord has the name of God in him. I believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament appearing. That's what I believe. I'm going to show you why. Exodus 23. I'm going to show you why he's not just an ordinary angel. The angel of the Lord has the name of God in him. Isaiah 63 says, In all of their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through the days of old. So Jesus is the Redeemer. Isaiah 63 is the angel of the Lord. So many times the angel was identified with God. For instance, Jacob says, I've seen God face to face and lived. And he says, I wrestled God. But if you go to the text, the text says it was the angel of the Lord. So Jacob says, I wrestled God face to face. And then the text says he wrestled the angel of the Lord. So we know the angel of the Lord is not a normal angel. The angel of the Lord, I believe, is Jesus, is God. The angel of the Lord is all-knowing, according to Genesis 16. Genesis 18.25, the angel of the Lord is the judge of all the earth. Remember, Jesus says the Father's given judgment over to the Son. So you can get that, so you can see there, even in Genesis, the angel of the Lord is called the judge of all the earth. And we know that only God can receive worship. And we know the angel of the Lord was worshiped by Moses. It was, he was also worshiped by Joshua. There's other places in scripture where when someone worshiped an angel, an angel said, get up and don't worship me. But in this case, the angel of the Lord received worship. Again, showing that this was God. This was God. So the angel... The meaning of angel is heavenly being. And we see the angel of the Lord described as a heavenly being, but don't think of us a regular angel. The angel of the Lord appeared to armor in Joshua and Joshua bowed to worship him. And the angel didn't say, don't worship me. The angel allowed Joshua to worship him. With all of that, I believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus is God in the Old Testament. All right, the last one. This one's going to go quick and then we're going to pray an hour and a half. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, we're going to do these more. These are long. These are basically, I should retitle them 20 sermons with Isaiah Saldivar instead of 20 questions because I just, I just can't help myself but preach these. Number 20, what is something you struggle with? I get this question all the time. I probably got this question like 30 times. What is something you struggle with? Sometimes, this is what the person said that sent me the question. Sometimes I feel like you don't struggle. Let me be frank. Let me put it all on the table. When it comes to sin, sexual sin what other sins pride um what are like big sins that ministers fall to whatever name them right greed envy jealousy resentment things i don't struggle with those legitimately i am not struggling with lust at all i'm not like oh man it's really i really want to go online but uh, i just got to make sure i don't I'm not struggling with lust. I'm not struggling with pride. I'm not like, oh, I'm somebody. Guys, I'm always on my face saying I'm nobody. I get on my knees. I'm the first one at the altar. I'm not struggling with that. It's not something. I'm not struggling with uh, anger. I, I, don't, I don't get angry. I literally don't get angry. I cannot remember. Ask my wife. I don't remember the last time I was angry. I'm not struggling with a lot of these things, but I do struggle. I don't think they're necessarily known sins. Like I'm not struggling with the main known sins. You know, drunkardness. No, not at all. I haven't drank in 13 years. Zero desire. Haven't cussed since the night I got saved. Um, drank. None of that. Drugs. None of that. None of that's a struggle. 
I'm not struggling with none of that. I'm not like, oh, it's hard. I struggle with laziness. And you're like, what? You have 1,500 videos. No, 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 I do. I struggle with laziness. There's a lot of days and I'm being vulnerable and honest. There's a lot of days where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to prepare. I don't want to stream. I don't want to make videos, which reminds me, I got I to gotta do videos before I leave on Friday. There we go. I'm already struggling live on stream. I'm streaming and still struggling with laziness. Okay. Laziness, discouragement, which is not of God. How am I discouraged? I have so much going for me, so many things. I just live a very weird life. I'm filming videos. I'm in front of a camera all the time and I'm reading comments. Like it's not very fulfilling, the online ministry thing. There's not real fulfillment. I'm still preaching in person, but it's not very often. So it's like, man, I get discouraged. You know, the numbers are super high one day and low. And it's weird because I measure my value often on numbers. Like I have a number telling me if I'm doing good or not. So if I see a video doesn't do good, it's like uh, automatically I go, oh, maybe I'm not good. Maybe I'm not. I get discouraged and the algorithm has this power over me that it's not right. And what all the stuff I'm saying is not right. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't be this way but it's just part of the online. So I have to stop looking. And this year, I haven't really been looking at numbers like I used to where I was like obsessed with this, this, this. It's not a healthy way to live. And really being an online minister is not healthy for you. But we reached 300 million people last year. It's what God's called me to do. And I'm, I got to keep doing it for the glory of God. God's called me to do this. I'm not doing this because I want to do this. In 2019, God said to do this. And so I'm doing it because he wants me to. If God tomorrow says... Don't do this anymore. Go just in person. Just go do this. Go do this. Then, hey, I'll stop doing it. I will stop streaming. I will hit stop streaming and I will never stream again. That's the bottom line. But if God keeps telling me to do it, which he is, then I'm just going to keep doing it. The reason why you see all these YouTubers, I'm burned out, I'm, even in the world, is because it is a very draining a very hard thing to do, but I'm reaching young people. People are getting saved, delivered, healed. I'm grateful. I'll meet all of you in heaven. I praise the Lord. I'm doing my best, but I'm just letting you guys know I do struggle with laziness, discouragement. What else? What else do I struggle with? Um, insecurities. Insecurities. Weariness. Like, oh, I'm tired of doing this. So I have to go off and you know take some days off. All of that stuff. But I know that God has called me to do this. I keep pushing. I keep pressing. I keep hitting go live. I keep hitting start streaming. I keep hitting start recording. I got to stay focused on God. I got to stay in prayer. I got to stay in the word, which reminds me, Friday, this Friday, we start the Bible in 90 days, which we'll have a video tomorrow at noon about. My wife will be posting a video about that tomorrow. On the YouVersion Bible app, on Friday, we start the Bible in 90 days. So guys, I'm feeling that. Okay, so look at this. Let me show you this. I'm feeling that. I feel discouraged. I feel weary. I feel tired. So you know what I need to do? Pray more, read more, fast more, and seek the Lord more. I do need to do all those things. What's the antidote of anxiety? If I'm having anxiety, I need to pray more. I need to read more. I need to fast more. I need to get more serious. I'm not serious enough about God. Let me say that again. Let me zoom in. I'm not serious enough about God. I need to take it more serious. And that's, I'm telling you, I'm not even going to add, oh, that's coming from me. It doesn't even matter. I'm not serious enough about God. So I need to get more serious about God. And my wife's doing the Bible in 90 days. She did it recently. She's starting it again. I'm going to do it with her. I'm going to do it with you guys. So Friday, I'm starting the Bible in 90 days. That's going to help me out. That's going to help with the discouragement, the weariness, the laziness, the confusion, whatever I'm going through, tiredness, whatever. Okay. The zooming in is funny. I'm glad. Okay. I'm going to do that. That's going to help me. 
September 1st. Let's go. Let's get those spiritual muscles up. Then hold me to it. You don't even have to hold me to it because I'm doing it. I'm doing it. There's no stopping me this time. I'm going to get on here looking like Stephen Furtick because I'm going to the gym, y'all. Starting to Wednesday. What, what's Wednesday? I don't know. September something. When I get back from Tennessee, starting Wednesday, I'm getting in the gym. I'm getting in the gym. All right. Every day I'm getting in the gym. Monday through Friday, I'll be in the gym, getting healthy, getting in shape. I'm not trying. I was joking about the Stephen Furtick. Okay. I'm not going to be ripping through my shirts, you know, get out of the schmedium that I'm wearing. I'm not going to be ripping through my shirts, but I'm going to get healthy. So the 90 day Bible, spiritually healthy. I'm going to start fasting more, even though I only eat once a day. I'm going to start fasting more. I'm going to start getting healthier. I'm going to start going to the gym every single day. I'm going to pray more. And yeah, I'm going to get better. There's areas that I need to work on. There's areas that I need to fix. So yes, I do struggle with stuff. No, I'm not. I'm not going to lie to you guys. No, I'm not struggling with lust. No, I'm not struggling with pride or drunkenness or envy or jealousy or resentment or contentment or uh, none of that stuff. None of that. I'm not like girl walks by. I'm not looking down. Okay. None of that. I'm not struggling. I'm not. I'm just being honest. I'm not going to lie and say I'm struggling with lust. I'm not. But I, I am struggling with other areas like discouragement, weariness, laziness, um, that type of stuff. Okay. Shall we pray now? Shall we pray? We had what a fun night. I had fun. Did you guys have fun tonight? I had fun. I'm just sad that I, t- I, I didn't start recording till 20 minutes in. That's going to be, that's going to be lame for. By the way, all, probably most of these questions will become clips on the second channel. So if you're not on the second channel, you should get on there because we're going to be posting all probably all these most of these questions as video clips you can share with your friends and family. And then I'll be making chapters tonight. Help me, Lord, not to forget and spend the time to do it. Help me, help me, Lord, not to be lazy. Look, I'm already lazy not wanting to do the chapters. I got to do it. I got to do it to help you guys out. Father, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, help us. Help us be like you. Wash us with your precious blood. Help us to walk in freedom and victory and breakthrough. Lord, let us be like you. Let us walk like you. Let us talk like you. Let us live like you. Let us not be stuck in the status quo. Lord, break us out of complacency, laziness, and apathy, and just light a new fire in us tonight. We don't take you serious enough, Lord. We're not radical enough, Lord. Help. Help in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to be like you. Wash us in your precious blood. Anoint us, Lord. Anoint us, God. And help us, Lord, this year. The rest of this year, God, when we do this 90-day Bible challenge, God, help us to read the Bible every day. Help us to pray more. Help us to fast more. Guys, don't believe the lie. Like, oh, that's legalism, brother. That's works. Go, go cry somewhere else. That's our favorite thing to tell you. It's not legalism. It's not works. It's called holiness. It's called desire for God. We want to be, we want to be fully used by God. We want to be set apart for God. Don't listen to anyone that tells you you, you you don't need to pray that much. You don't need to read or fast. That's workspace. That's legalism. Don't don't listen to people like that. Do not listen to people like that. They're completely going against everything Jesus taught. Jesus taught prayer, fasting, the word, holiness, consecration. Help us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bless every person, Lord, tonight. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Deliver them. Heal them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you guys want to sow, I started the first question, which should we give to traveling teachers and preachers? The answer is yes. I gave you guys like 10 verses. Partner with me tonight. This is how we get by. This is how we pay the people that we pay to edit the videos, post the videos, do the deliverance map. There are expenses. So you can scan the QR code. If everybody gives something, there's 2,000 of you. Everybody gives a dollar. That's more than enough. That's more than enough. So something. If you have it, if you don't have it, A, it is what it is. I Guys, I didn't have time today to do the cash app. I have a long list of stuff I got to do today, tonight. I'm going to be working late tonight. 
I didn't have time to make Cash App next week. God willing, that will be done. If you're listening on audio, isaiahsalva.com slash partner. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.